Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911. Oh Lord, come to our assistance. Lord, make haste to help me. My name is Jesse Romero. This is Jesus 911. Have a good show for you today, but uh, just uh, want to remind you that July is the month where we honor the precious blood of Jesus. And it falls right between June's devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus and August's devotion to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. So July is an ideal time to connect our devotion to Jesus and Mary into deeper gratitude for the bond that they share, as well as to heighten our connection to the blood of the Lamb of God, which we as Catholics have the benefit of receiving in the Most Holy Eucharist. A couple of things I want to mention Border counties declare invasion. Multiple counties in Texas on Tuesday declared the border crisis an invasion. The news comes as border crossings continually hit historic highs. Officials clocked 239,000 migrant encounters in May alone. Kinney County Attorney Brent Smith told Fox that he believes approximately 10 to 15, 12 to 15 counties could end up having declared an invasion by the end of the month. Also, uh, did you hear about this reporter's disgusting anti-Catholicism? An Australian reporter, Lena Murphy, has been covering recent pro-abortion protests against the repeal of Roe v. Wade. Over the weekend, she posed with an extremely offensive pro-abortion sign and posted a picture of herself smiling with it on social media. Mary the, Virgin, the sign said, Mary the Virgin uh, should have had an abortion, close quote. Channel 9, her employer, published a half-hearted apology and claimed that uh, Lena Murphy was sent for counseling as to why the post was offensive. Uh, it's not known whether further action will be taken against Lena Murphy. She should be fired immediately. Also, have you heard of this, this massive surge in the pro-life support, this poll? A new Harvard Harris poll released on Tuesday found that a large majority of Americans would support banning abortion after 15 weeks. 72% of Americans support banning abortion after 15 weeks. And almost half, 49%, would support bans at six weeks. The new data represents a dramatic shift in public opinion since as recently as May before the Supreme Court struck down Roe v. Wade. Also, leftists offer bounty for sightings of Supreme Court justices. Did you hear about this? The left-wing activist group shut down D.C. You got uh, Jane's Revenge. You got Ruth Santos. They tweeted on Friday that they would pay a $50 bounty to anyone who could notify them of a confirmed sighting of any pro-life justice of the Supreme Court. The group promised $200 if a justice was still in the location where they were cited after 30 minutes. Twitter has so far refused to remove the tweet, despite claiming to have a policy against encouraging or calling for others to harass an individual or group of people. Okay. <clears throat> By the way, today at uh, Holy Mass, today is the feast day of St. Benedict. St. Benedict, pray for us. Let me jump right into today's topic because this 
sometimes you wonder what, what's gone, what's happened with the church, or what's happening with the church, what's happening with with many of the bishops, what's happening with the Holy Father, the Roman Curia. Seems to me uh, we're getting all kinds of LGBT and liberal modernist uh, bishops and theologians. How did all this happen? Well, <clears throat> this happened through an infiltration. So I want to just give you the a history of this infiltration. Brian Miles wrote a three-part article. It's outstanding. It's called Revolution in Tiara and Cope, A History of Church Infiltration. This is part two. But again, in other words, everything that you're seeing wrong with the church right now is a Masonic infiltration into the Catholic Church by design. <clears throat> In search of the foot soldiers of the Alta Vendita, which is a Masonic document written by the Masons to infiltrate the Church, we arrive at our second point and the work of His Excellency, Rudolf Graeber, the late Bishop of Regensburg. He was appointed to his see in 1962 by St. John the 23rd. Bishop Graeber would later serve as a council father and in 1977 acted as the principal consecrator in Joseph Ratzinger's elevation to the episcopacy. Bishop Graeber was a prolific theologian whose works were widely disseminated throughout the world. We turn today to the English edition of his 1974 volume, which is called Athanasius and the Church of Our Time. In the fifth chapter of this text, we meet Father Paul Roca, who lived from 1830 to 1893. He was ordained in 1858 in the Diocese of Perpignan, France. He was made an honorary, honorary canon in 1869, from there he taught and traveled extensively abroad until he eventually ran afoul of Rome on account of his penchant of distributing occult propaganda among the youth. Again, an example of uh, Masonic infiltration. Father Paul Rocca was a known author of Freemasonic literature. Father Rocca was ultimately excommunicated for his heretical teaching but he regrettably never recanted. Instead, Father Rocca continued promoting the doctrine of the Alta Vendita, which is a Masonic document. The document speaks about a new enlightened church influenced by the socialism of Jesus and the apostles. And for Father Rocca, this meant the church that might not be able to retain anything of St. Thomas Aquinas, Charles Borromeo, all the scholastic doctrine and the original form of the former church. On the contrary, just before the turn of the 20th century, here, here's what Father Rocca predicted. Right before the turn of the 20th century, here is what Father Rocca predicted. He said, quote, The divine cult, talking about the Catholic faith, in the form directed by the liturgy, ceremonial, ritual, regulations of the Roman Church will shortly undergo a transformation at an ecumenical council which will restore it 
to the veritable simplicity of the golden age of the apostles in according with the dictates of conscience and modern civilization. <clears throat> so, Father Rocca, this again, he was a Mason, he was already saying this in the early 20th century that in the future we're going to have a council that's going to change the Mass. Pretty much, that's, that's what he basically said. You know, the terms that he uses, restoration, simplicity, apostolic renaissance, those things sound good. You know, adaptation to modern times, dictates of conscience. But ask yourself the question, has an ecumenical council ever taken up such themes? And in the context of the liturgy, no less, even in hindsight, one can hardly concoct a more precise litany of the ideas that animated Vatican II. So if, uh, if St. John Twenty-Third announced the council to a stunned silence, we can safely assume, at least for those prelates of, of Father Rocca's ilk, that this silence had more to do with satisfaction than shock. But what should not be shocking to anyone who calls himself Catholic is the idea that Freemasonry should ever gain such influence in the church. Which leads to the third point and the approved apparitions of Our Lady of Good Success. Beginning in the late 1500s, a Spanish conceptionist nun, Mother Mariana de Jesus Torres, began receiving visitations from the Mother of God at her convent in Quito, Ecuador, complete with the commissioning of a miraculous statue added to a multitude of prophecies which have since come to pass. The Blessed Virgin spoke particularly about the pernicious activities of Masonic sects that would erupt in the 19th and 20th century. Now, what's of special importance for our purpose is the fact that Freemasonry was not, was not even founded until 1717 in London, England. That we should find such an exact descriptor over a century in advance and on the opposite side of the world is by itself a testament to the prophetic nature of the startling revelations of Our Lady of Good Success. Thus I make it known to you that from the end of the 19th century and from shortly after the middle, this is, this is the Blessed Virgin Mary speaking here. This is the Mother of God. This is Our Lady of Good Success speaking. Here, here's what she said. Thus I make it known to you that from the end of the 19th century and from shortly after the middle of the 20th, the passions will erupt and there will be a total corruption of morals. For Satan will reign almost completely through the, Mason through the Masonic sects. They will focus principally on the children in order to sustain this, this general corruption. Woe to the children of these times. It will be difficult to receive the sacrament of baptism and also the sacrament of confirmation. We'll continue talking about Our Lady of Good Success. Apparition back in 1683, Vito Ecuador. And the way she warned us about Freemasonry. And we're experiencing it right now. Stick around. We'll hear more about Our Lady of Good Success and her prophecy. Now, back to Jesus 911. 
If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Jesus 911, how did we get here? I'm talking about the Masonic infiltration into the Catholic Church. How did we get here? Well, there's a good article written by Brian Miles. It's called A History of Church Infiltration, Part 1, 2, and 3. He does a great job of giving you documenting how the Freemasons infiltrated the Catholic Church and how we've been affected by it, to the, especially post-Vatican II. If uh, if you want this article, go to my go to the show page vmpr.org, vmpr.org, or go to my show page jesseromero.com, and you can read the article. It's phenomenal. So the Mother of God, back in 1683, Our Lady of Good Success, she's warning us about Freemasonry before Freemasonry was started. This is how accurate her prophecy is. She said, "Quote: They will receive the sacrament of confession only if they remain in Catholic schools." For the devil will make a great effort to destroy it through persons and positions of authority. The same thing will happen with the sacrament of Holy Communion. Alas, how deeply I grieve to manifest to you the many enormous sacrileges, both public as well as secret, that will occur from the profanation of the Holy Eucharist. My most holy son will see himself cast upon the ground and trampled upon by filthy feet. Wow. (laughs) Have you ever seen people drop the Holy Eucharist at Mass? Often, the Blessed Mother says, Often during this epoch, the enemies of Jesus Christ, instigated by the devil, will steal consecrated hosts from the churches hmm, so that they might profane the Eucharistic species. The sacrament of extreme unction will be of little value. Many people will die without receiving it. Think about how many people died during the tears of COVID, the scandemic, without the sacrament of the anointing of the sick. The Blessed Mother says, As for the sacrament of matrimony, which symbolizes the union of Christ with his church, it will be attacked and deeply profaned. Freemasonry, Freemasonry, Mary says, I mean, she's making these prophecies before Freemasonry started. This is how this is how spot on this, this whole prophecy is. The Blessed Mother says, Freemasonry, which will then be in power, will enact ubiquitous laws with the aim of doing away with this sacrament, making it easy for everyone to live in sin, and encouraging the procreation of, of illegitimate children born without the blessing of the church. Added to this will be the effects of secular education, which will be one reason for the death of priestly vocations. Oh, wow, look what the Blessed Mother said. Okay, here it is. Added to this will be the effects of secular education. In other words, public school which will be one reason for the death of priestly and religious vocations. The Blessed Mother says, Our Lady of Good Success, the sacrament of holy orders will be ridiculed. The devil will try to persecute the ministers of the Lord in every way. You think? It's happening right now. He will labor with cruel and subtle astuteness to deviate them from the spirit of their vocation and will corrupt many of them. So Mary said in 1683, that in the 19th and 20th century, the devil will corrupt many priests. What type of corruption are we talking about? Sexual corruption. The Blessed Mother says, These depraved priests, who will scandalize the Christian people, will make the hatred of bad Catholics and the enemies of the Roman Catholic and Apostolic Church fall upon all priests. Unhappy times will come. The enemies of the Roman Catholic and Apostolic Church 
uh, unhappy times will come wherein those who should fearlessly defend the rights of the church will instead, blinded despite the light, give their hand to the church's enemies and do their bidding. But when evil seems triumphant and when authority abuses its power, committing all manner of injustice and oppressing the weak, their ruin shall be near, they will fall and crash to the ground. That's all seven sacraments, in case you weren't counting, by the way. Mary basically warned us that all the seven sacraments will be attacked by the Freemasons. She said this in 1683, that this would happen in the 19th and 20th centuries. Unbelievable. How accurate is this? According to Our Lady's prophecy, wasting away under the withering influence of the, devil's, of the devil reigning in the church through Masonic sects, it reads like a narrative description of our times. And here we have explicit references to a mode of liturgical life which lends itself to the Holy Eucharist being trampled underfoot. Well, that only started happening after Vatican II, where somebody could actually drop the Holy Eucharist because everybody's standing up and receiving in their hand. When people could drop the Holy Eucharist, they go down and pick it up. Particles are now on the carpet or on the tile, and people are continuing to step on Jesus. One particle contains a whole Christ. Mary said this would happen in 1683. And we, this couldn't have happened under the Latin Mass. Considering the manner in which the Mass was celebrated in the 1600s, who can imagine such a thing without also imagining some corresponding degradation in the character of the liturgy? And note also the parallels with the instruction targeting the youth, infiltrating schools and corrupting morals. If the Masons laid out their strategy for destruction, the Blessed Virgin Mary described its rotten fruit in morbid detail. I mean, think about it. Is it any wonder that, that you know, Pope Leo XIII had to say this about Freemasonry in 1884 in his encyclical Humanum Genus? He said, he said this about the Freemasons, Pope Leo XIII. Quote, the race of man, after its miserable fall from God, the creator and giver of heavenly gifts, through the envy of the devil, separated into two diverse and opposite parts, of which one steadfastly contends for truth and virtue, the other of those things which are contrary to virtue and to truth. The one is the kingdom of God on earth, namely the true church of Jesus Christ. The other is the kingdom of Satan talking about the Masons. He calls Masons the kingdom of Satan, Pope Leo XIII. At every period of time, each has been in conflict with each other, with a variety and multiplicity of weapons and of warfare, although not always with equal order and assault. At this period, however, the partisans of evil seems to be combining together and to be struggling with united vehemence. Led on, or assisted by that strongly organized and widespread association called the Freemasons. They are planning the destruction of the Holy Catholic Church which, with the set purpose of utterly despoiling the nations of Christendom. If it were possible, of the blessings obtained for us through Jesus Christ our Savior. Pope Leo XIII writes, Relentless in his condemnation, Pope Leo excoriates Freemasonry for its perpetration of all manner of public crimes. Among these, which ought to sound familiar to those of us now suffering through them, 
He includes the propagation of lewd materials and sexual license by which virtue may be lulled to sleep. <laughs> Think about uh, the sexual revolution that exploded in the 60s and all, and all the, the fruits, the bad fruits of the sexual revolution. Contraception, homosexuality, fornication, playboy penthouse hustler. Pope Leo also said in paragraph 20 of his encyclical, he says, the promotion of relativism, religious indifference, and the, and the dissolubility of marriage. So he said that's going to be promoted by the Masons. And that's exactly what we see today. Masons are Protestants. Most of them are Protestants. They have no problem with divorce. Okay? Uh, Protestantism has given us relativism and religious indifference. Because when you have 40,000 denominations, those are the barren fruits of Protestantism. Which come, and again, the Masons come from Protestants. Paragraph 21, the Pope says, The co-opting of education and the replacement of, of religious instructors with laymen. Well, that's happened in most of our Catholic schools right now. The nuns are gone, the priests are gone, it's all lay people. 21, paragraph 21, the Pope says, The elimination of God from governance and the erosion, the erosion of natural law and hierarchical social structures in exchange for a materialistic and hyper-egalitarian majority rule. Paragraph 22, and ultimately, the very destruction of religion and the church founded by Jesus Christ. So that, that's the goal of the Masons. The very destruction of the church started by Jesus Christ. The Holy Father continues about talking about the Masons. He says this, In this insane and wicked endeavor, we may almost see the implacable hatred and spirit of revenge, which with Satan himself is inflamed against Jesus Christ. So also the studious endeavor of the Freemasons to destroy the chief foundation of justice and honesty and to cooperate with those who, who would wish, as if they were animals, to do what they please, tends only to the ignominious and disgraceful ruin of the human race. In the face of such flagrant, far-reaching and disastrous assaults, the Holy Father understood quite keenly the need to mount a strong resistance. As such, Pope Leo XIII set, sets forth the following remedial program for the extirpation of this foul plague, which is called Freemasonry, which is creeping through the veins of the body politic. First and foremost, Pope Leo XIII counseled, he counseled exposure exhorting his readers to tear away the mask of Freemasonry and to let it be seen as it really is. Tear away the mask of Freemasonry. In other words, as St. Paul says, expose the darkness. Can't be afraid to expose the darkness. This, uh, in paragraph 31, Pope Theo XIII says, this was to be achieved by primarily through preaching and publication, but also by the promotion of virtuous organizations such as Catholic schools, religious guilds for workmen, and third order lay associations. So Pope Leo XIII, he put, he put a battle plan together for Catholics to fight off against the, the infiltration of Freemasonry that was coming into the church even more and more. 
My name is Jesse Romero. We're talking about the infiltration of Freemasonry in the Catholic Church. We were warned by the Blessed Virgin Mary, Our Lady of Good Success, in 1683. She appeared to a Catholic nun in Quito, Ecuador. And she warned us about Freemasonry about 50 years before Freemasonry started. She warned us about Freemasonry by name. And this is, so this is how accurate this, uh, this prophecy is. It, is. it is absolutely accurate. One of the things that Pope Leo XIII called for especially was prayer. He recognized that our united labors will by no means suffice to pluck up these dangerous seeds of Freemasonry from the, from the Lord's field, the Catholic Church, unless the heavenly master of the vineyard shall mercifully help us in our endeavors. To this end, the Holy Father closes his encyclical on a hopeful note, trusting that in so far that the church perseveres in prayer, so will she be delivered from her enemies. My name is Jesse Romero, talking about the infiltration of Freemasonry into the Catholic Church. This is exactly the battle we're in right now. And we'll be fighting the Freemasons until the second coming of Christ. Stick around, we'll be right back. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. The Freemasons are a secret society. They've always hated the Catholic Church. They were started by Protestants, a Protestant guild. Uh, the members of the Freemasons, they're secretive, they're cult-like, they're anti-supernatural, and their number one enemy is the Catholic Church. They're hostile to the Catholic faith. Once again, a lot of Protestants see no, they don't see a problem with joining the Masons, even though the Masons, again, the Masons essentially, their, their huge error is that they promote relativism. And when you got Sola Scriptura Protestants saying, you know, that there's only salvation in Christ alone, which is true. But a lot of Protestants buy into the relativism of the Freemasons when they join their guilds or their lodges. That's, uh, again, that's, that's the fundamental error of Freemasons. Pope Leo XIII, he wrote a brilliant exhortation which not only exposed the Freemasons' plans, but also sets forth the appropriate tactical countermeasures, and yet its inherent vulnerability lies in the danger of alerting the opposition, respecting how and where they ought to strike. For to the degree the Church is strengthened by a renewal of prayer, so too is she compromised by its corruption. A simple maxim, but nevertheless staggering in its implications, for the integrity of the church's most powerful and essential prayer. Thus, if it was made painstakingly obvious that the magisterium must, above all else, safeguard the holy sacrifice of the Mass, it was no less evident that, should a spirit of liturgical revolution ever succeed in masquerading as a source of renewal, it would signal a decisive conquest for the enemies of the church. That sentence was powerful. Look at this. Okay. If it was made painstakingly obvious 
that the magisterium must, above all else, safeguard the holy sacrifice of the Mass, it was no less evidence that should a spirit of liturgical revolution, which happened in the 60s, ever succeed in masquerading as a source of renewal, it would signal a divisive conquest for the enemies of the church. This happened at Vatican II. And so it has. An important question remains unanswered, namely, how could the devil ever attain such power? Efforts at infiltration notwithstanding, it seems only fitting that God would nevertheless place special protections around the church's supreme and existential act of worship. In light of this reality, it is therefore reasonable to conclude that should such a master stroke ever successfully fall, it could only occur in an era when Satan had been granted unprecedented license by God himself in his designs to destroy the church. Which brings us to our fourth point. And the truly frightening vision of Pope Leo XIII in which he reportedly witnessed the unfolding of exactly this scenario. On October 13, 1884, Pope Leo XIII had just finished celebrating the Mass in a chapel in the Vatican. At the Mass were a few cardinals and members of the household staff. Suddenly the Pope stopped at the foot of the altar. He stood there for about 10 minutes as if in a, as if in a trance. His face was ashen white. Then going straight away from the chapel to his office, he composed the prayers of St. Michael and later issued instructions that it be said after all old masses everywhere in the world. He explained that as he was about to leave the foot of the altar, he had suddenly heard two voices, one kind and gentle, and the other guttural and harsh. Then he heard the voice of Satan in his pride boasting to our Lord, I can destroy your church. The gentle voice of our Lord said, You can? Then go ahead and do so. Satan replied, To do so, I need more time or more power. The Lord said, How much time and how much power? 75 to 100 years and a greater power over those who will give themselves to my service. That was Satan's reply. Mysteriously, our Lord said, You have the time, you have the power, do with them what you will. Close quote. I know there's several permutations of this story in circulation, but the most frequently cited authorities are the 1946 pastoral letter of Cardinal Nasila Roca and the eyewitness testimony of Father Domenicu. Pecenino, first recorded in the Italian journal La Sentimana del Clero, those who would seek to discredit this last attestation due to the affiliation of the Society of St. Pius X need also to recognize that this source is unique in providing authentic translations from the original documents. What these accounts make clear, especially in the absence of evidence discrediting their veracity, is that there's a good reason to conclude that Pope Leo XIII's vision actually took place. More importantly, the vision itself offers good reason to conclude that the 20th century would witness a diabolical assault on the church unlike any she had previously known. To this end, 
If St. John Paul II is correct in proclaiming that the Holy Eucharist is the source and summit of our faith, it stands to reason that those attempting to affect its demise would seek to undermine the very ritual given for its manifestation and exaltation. And even though such, a, such an attack could never entirely compromise the validity of the Eucharistic consecration, it may nevertheless achieve a degree of distortion so pronounced that it effectively obscures these sacred mysteries from all but keenest or most pious observers. Is it any wonder then that today then more than 60% of American Catholics deny the reality of the real presence of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist? That's scandalous. This shouldn't be. But the conclusion is obvious. When the church sees us acting as if Christ is truly and substantially present in the Blessed Sacrament, through again, through just loose liturgies, the faithful stop believing that Christ is truly and substantially present in the Blessed Sacrament. This creates a vicious cycle as belief begins to falter the practice of the faith suffers as well. Why else do we tolerate banal sanctuaries, cluttered with laity, communion in the hand, indecent attire, rank irreverence, awful music, and unrestricted chatter in church? The list of abuses common in our era is lengthy, but the answer to why they persist is always the same. There's among Catholics today a widespread and practical apostasy from the central miraculous dogma of the Mass, that is, we no longer believe that Jesus Christ, we no longer believe as Catholics, by and large, that the Eucharist is God Himself, veiled in His hidden majesty, made present, so that we may worship and adore Him, and consequently, we blithely construct liturgies which forsake the first commandment while emphasizing shallow and insipid ways to amuse or gratify ourselves. You watch some of these reckless liturgies on YouTube. Clown masses. Priests coming up on a scooter. Priests coming up on a bicycle. Priests wearing a wrestler's mask. It's uh, some of the things of guitar masses where the priests bless the whole, bless everybody at the end of Holy Mass uh, with the guitar. This is, is this the renewal that Vatican II called for? I, I dare say no. Accepting, of course, the church's ultimate indefectibility. If left unchecked, these efforts can only move us ever closer to the stated end of Freemasonry. Namely, the stated goal of Freemasonry is the destruction forever of Catholicism and even of the Christian idea. Again, this is because the Mass is the Church's essential act of worship. The Church depends upon it for her existence, and thus the measure of its destruction will be the measure of her demise. For some, it may be difficult to concede that the Church could stray so far afield, especially when it seems that her own counsel ultimately acted as a catalyst. But when we recall that the Popes repeatedly warned of a Masonic plot to destroy the faith, that known Masons went on to disclose their intent to fundamentally transform the Mass in an ecumenical council, that even before the existence as, as a society, Our Lady prophesied that the Masons, shortly after the middle of the 20th century, 
would besiege all seven sacraments that both the Mass and the sacraments did in fact find themselves dramatically altered shortly after the middle of the 20th century. And that all of this should occur precisely during an era when Satan had been granted unparalleled power to assault the church. When we consider all these things together, with the fact that a compromised mass is the surest way to destroy the faith, suddenly the specter of a revolutionary coup cloaked in the guise of conciliar renewal is brought into sharp and disturbing relief. Those who have eyes, let them see. It is vital for us to understand how these recent developments came to pass. And I can tell you this, in the next and final installment, next week, I'll once more consider both the prevailing zeitgeist that so strongly influenced the era of Vatican II and those things which followed in its wake. Again, one of the good things when we're talking about the Freemasons, they're not just some harmless fraternity. They're a huge threat to Catholicism. And guess what? Now, the Masons attach themselves to Protestants. And this is how they've spread throughout the entire world. We'll be right back. Yeah, I want to talk about St. Barnabas. We don't talk about him a lot. St. Barnabas, pray for us. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Soul Patrol, Jesus 911, one-man car, Paul Clay's off doing some apostolic work today. By the way, did you hear about the Georgia Guidestones that were, they were basically blown up? Some type of an explosion. So what are the Georgia Guidestones? They're located in a remote part of Albert County, Georgia. They were put up in 1980 by the Freemasons to promote a new world order. This is a massive monument. It has an alarming message to convey to the world. Although the message is a beautiful ideal, tracing its roots back to the concept of of a utopia, it also entails sinister prospects for the future of the human race. The message is considered as the Ten New Commandments for an age governed by reason. And uh, commandment number one of the Georgia Guidestones, which has been blown up, commandment number one is maintain humanity under 500 uh, million people in perpetual balance with nature. So we got about 8 billion people on planet Earth. The Freemasons would like us to get, they would like us to get rid of 7.5 billion people. They think only 500 million people should live in a planet. In case you're wondering why we find our government and the medical community doing everything, everything, everything to try to uh, thin out the ranks or depopulate the earth. Most of these guys are Masons. Hey, I want to talk about St. Barnabas. We don't talk about him much. 
the word Barnabas means uh, son of encouragement. Okay, son of encouragement. We should be a Barnabas to other people. We should try to encourage other people. His feast day was June eleventh. It was last month. But but Catholics, we celebrate the memory of Saint Barnabas on June eleventh. He was an apostle and a missionary. He was among Christ's earliest followers, and he was responsible for welcoming St. Paul into the church. Did you know that? St. Barnabas was responsible for welcoming St. Paul into the Catholic Church. Now, St. Barnabas was not one of the actual 12 apostles chosen by the Lord Jesus Christ, but he is traditionally regarded as one of the 72 disciples of Christ and probably the most respected man in the first century after the apostles themselves. So when Jesus Christ commissioned the 72 disciples to go out and preach, Barnabas was one of those 72 disciples and the tradition of the East is those disciples were bishops that had their own apostolic see somewhere in the Middle East. Now, St. Barnabas was born to wealthy Jewish parents on the Greek-speaking island of Cyprus, probably around the time of Christ's own birth. There are traditional accounts that hold that his parents sent him to study in Jerusalem, where he studied at the school of Gamaliel, who also taught St. Paul, by the way. Later on, when Christ's public ministry began, Barnabas may have been among those who heard him preach in person. At some point, either during Christ's ministry or after his death and resurrection, Barnabas decided to commit himself in the most radical ways to the teachings of Christ that he had received. He sold the large estate that he had inherited contributed the proceeds entirely to the church and joined Christ's other apostles in holding all of their possessions in common. Now, the apostles and disciples did this. It wasn't forced by the government. That's called socialism or communism. They did all this with a heart full of love. That's called Christianity. When you give generously out of love, that's called Christianity, and you share what you have. When you're forced to give because you've been given a lot or you've accumulated a lot and you're forced to give to others, that's called communism and socialism. St. Paul, Saul of Tarsus is a future St. Paul, approached Barnabas after the miraculous events surrounding his conversion and he was first introduced to St. Peter through him. About five years later, Barnabas and Paul spent a year in Antioch building up the church community whose members were the first to go by the name of Christians. This is around 64 AD in Antioch. That's where they were first called Christians. And it was in Antioch when... 
the bishop of Antioch at this point was Bishop Evaristus, second bishop of Antioch. The third bishop of Antioch, Ignatius of Loyola, uh, excuse me, Ignatius of Antioch, he's the one that uh, first used the term Christian in Acts chapter 11, verse 26. Oh, no. Ignatius of Antioch is the one that called the, the church of Jesus Christ the Catholic Church. So he's the third bishop of Antioch, the second bishop of Antioch. He's the one that under his apostolic authority as the bishop of Antioch, the word Christian was first used around 64 A.D. to designate a follower of Christ. Both Paul and Barnabas received the calling from God to become the apostles of the, to the Gentiles. Although the title is more often associated with St. Paul, the reference to the laying on of hands in Acts chapter 13 suggests that Paul and Barnabas may have been consecrated as bishops on this occasion. Barnabas and Paul left Antioch along with Barnabas' cousin John Mark, who would later compose the most concise account of Christ's life and be canonized as St. Mark. The, the, the group's first forays into the pagan world met with some success, but Mark became discouraged and returned to Jerusalem. The question of Mark's dedication to the mission would arise again later and cause a significant personal disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. For many years prior to this, however, the two apostles traveled and preached among the Gentiles, suffering hardship and persecution for the sake of establishing Christianity among those of a non-Jewish background. The remarkable success of Barnabas and Paul led to one of the earliest controversies in church history regarding the question of whether Christian converts would have to observe Jewish rites. So during the landmark Council of Jerusalem, recorded in the book of Acts, the assembled apostles confirmed St. Peter's earlier proclamation that the laws of the Old Testament would not be mandatory for Christians. Barnabas and Paul, they finally separated in their ministries while remaining apostles of the one Catholic church. Over Paul's insistence that Mark not travel with them again, in death, however, the apostles to the Gentiles were reunited. Amen. Mark is said to have buried Barnabas and Mark was killed by a mob in Cyprus around the year 62. St. Paul and St. Mark were in turn reconciled before St. Paul's martyrdom five years later. He is said to have been stoned to death in Salamis in the year 61. St. Luke described Barnabas as a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith in Acts chapter 6, verse 24. He was also known for his exceptional kindliness and personal holiness and his openness to evangelizing the pagans. St. Barnabas, pray for us. St. Paul, pray for us. St. Mark, pray for us. My name is Jesse Romero. Just want to remind you 
that we're all called to be great saints. Every one of us should be sh- shooting for that ST before our name. Forget about the BA, BS, MA, PhD, MS. Forget all about all those degrees after your name. We should be shooting for that ST before our name. We're called to be great saints. Don't miss the opportunity. As the first Pope says in the Bible in Acts chapter 5, verse 40, Acts 2.40, excuse me, Acts 2.40, he said, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Absolutely. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Remember, be saints. You weren't made to fit in. You were born to stand out. Here at VMPR, we're just trying to put the spotlight of truth upon this culture of death. We're just like a lighthouse amidst the gathering storm. We want to pray America great again. You can support our shows here on VMPR, Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You can support the show by sharing the full show linked at vmpr.org. vmpr.org. You can also find us on social media at 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 vmp radio at vmp radio and our youtube channel is called full sheen ahead share us with your friends and evangelize everyone you love remember the most important thing for us as catholics is to introduce people to the person of jesus christ there's nothing more important than that introducing people to the person of Jesus Christ. Remember, remember the five stones of Goliath. Pray your rosary every day. Receive Holy Eucharist as often as possible. If you can't go to Mass, make a spiritual communion. Read your Bible every day, at least the Mass readings. Practice some form of penance throughout the week, specifically on Fridays. Remember our Lord Jesus Christ says some demons can only be driven out through prayer and fasting. Also, make sure you're going to at least monthly confession so that you can remain in a state of grace and die in a state of grace and get to heaven. That's a wrap. Jesus 911, God bless you. Keep the faith up next. Gary Machuda, hands-on apologetics. Coming to you from the Midwest Command Center. As for me, I am out. E-O-W, end of watch. God bless you. Keep the faith.